Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and we have a very, very special guest here, folks. He's been on for two rounds, but most importantly, he was our first guest ever on 30 MPC. It's Joe Caprio. Nick, why should people listen? Every time I think about Joe, I think about his stance on should you make small talk, and it's a firm no. He goes, Armand, your mom's a mom, my mom's a mom, you should buy from me. And he has some just, he's funny, man. He's one of the few people that like really, really knows how to sell, but also is a great podcast guest and he's very, very entertaining. So no tips there. Just, you should listen to this one. Seriously. Three, two, one. Your mom, my mom, my favorite episode. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. All right, Joe, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. 
Amazing. My first takeaway is to take more bad meetings. And what I mean by that is every salesperson I've worked with will complain about poorly qualified meetings from their BDRs or bad leads from marketing. And I'm saying stop that. Be open to having an infinite number of casual first conversations and then selectively progress the viable prospects from there. Beautiful. What's number two, Joe? All right. The second takeaway is that you can incept your prospect's interest in the first 90 seconds of a meeting. And I mean that prospects are shockingly open to influence. So I start all of my meetings by just saying that I'm really excited and looking forward to this conversation. I saw this post that you put out there, or I normally work with this vertical, not your vertical, or I sell into this buyer, not your department. And so I was really interested to have this conversation with you because I think it's going to be unique. And you'd be amazed at how much that turns on the other person's brain and gets them to be receptive to the conversation versus defensive. Round us out. What's number three, Joe? Well, if you're going to take the first two strategies and open up and widen out your funnel and try to sell through new channels and and new departments, you've got to become your own nurture drip. And so what I mean by that is whether you're using scalable tools like a mail merge or you're just keeping a list and DMing people on social, you need to go out there and nurture a new list of friends that you've created to bring them back to the table with the right stakeholder or with the right use case later. So Joe, let's say I would normally sell to a tech company, for example, but all of a sudden a fast growing restaurant chain or a fast growing railroad company decides to come and request inbound demo or come our way. How do I run that first call in a way that I'm being open-minded, but at the same time, I'm not spending 30 minutes thinking it's going to go somewhere when it may or may not. Yeah, it's a killer question because that's the crux of it, right? And so I have, I have two things I would think about there. When somebody books a meeting for me that's outside of the center of my bullseye, I don't put a wall up and try to reject the meeting, you know what I mean? Just protecting my batting average. I'm looking for why this could be a good fit for me or how I could sell into it. So I would do two things. One, I would look at my customer base and I would see if we do have business in that new vertical right? And if so, I'd be prepared to tell that story. And if not, then I would have to think about, well, how could we service this industry? The second thing I would do is I'd show up to a meeting and I would literally say that, again, I'd say, Armand, like this, this is so interesting to me. Like I don't get a ton of inbound from companies like yours. We're normally over here in this vertical. So I'm like dying to know how you found us and what caused you to come in like this. That's the whole point of the conversation anyways. Joe, you talked about this incepting interest thing. It's the idea of Armand made a post on LinkedIn three weeks ago, and it's related in some way to the thing that you are selling or the vision that you're selling. Can you talk to me more about that? Maybe some examples of like what that actually looks or what that sounds like for the audience? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you a hyper-tactical way to accomplish this. And I steal it from, from Mark Cosiglo at Outreach. He taught me like 10 years ago, the concept of first is best. And so what they did at the, on, the, on the sales team at Outreach is they listed the top 10 things that make somebody a good fit for Outreach. They've raised funding. They've hired a ton of people. They've opened a new location. They've got you know more than 10 people with less than a year experience, whatever. And his point was, you don't have to do every single one of those pieces of research You find the first one because it's a prioritized list. You find the first one that applies, and then you use that on the meeting. So a lot of people hear things like do prep work before a call, and they think that means 
find an article this prospect has written where they basically admit to the world that they need your product. Like they somehow wrote a blog three weeks ago that's like, I'm dying, I'm gonna lose my job, my spouse is gonna leave me, my kids are losing respect for me because I have this problem that your software happens to solve. And if they can't find that, they, they like they either give up or they're like, oh, hey, like I saw you went to this school, go Badgers. You know, and it's like there's something in between there where if you don't find that like the silver bullet, them lamenting out in public that they need your help, you still have role based pitches, you have vertical based pitches. So you have like customer testimonials that your your company has published about different user types, different role types, different vertical types. And you can go in there and say, hey, like I never get to talk to somebody that's a five time insert job title. Or, hey, I don't usually get to talk to somebody that's only been doing job title for a year or less. And I think these are the most interesting conversations I have. So it can just be like one unique thing about the department, the role, the seniority, the background, whatever it is. One interesting thing about them that is then going to tie to a unique way your product addresses that industry or that department. And then you're helping them realize this is not just a standard call. This is new, unique, and interesting to both sides. And then it's an interaction, not a sales pitch. So Joe, one thing that you're referencing a lot is, look, being open to the different angles through which you could apply your product to any given vertical, right? And so the value props or the customer stories, even though they're in a different vertical, they might still apply to the restaurant industry, for example. So this is all as it pertains to interest from the customer. But how do you deal with when there are technical gaps or product gaps, because oftentimes when you're going into a new market or a new vertical, the use cases actually demand different things technically. And so when are you bringing that up in the process and how do you suss out if you're way too far close enough where you can sort of make that jump? I think there's probably a spectrum where it is truly in first, like honestly, the first deal in that segment or you've got deals in that segment. You definitely will never have deals in that segment. And it's like a scale of a maturity of a company. So if, if your company is early and open to new verticals and you're going out to try selling into banking for the first time, well, then you're looking for design partner customers. And you should just be open and upfront about it. Hey, we're killing it in SaaS. We're killing it in this other industry. We believe that there's overlap with this challenge in your industry. And we want to go out and kind of probe and test this out. So we're looking for some open-minded design partner customers where we can get in here and chop it up together. And that's if you like are super, super early, but open to the concept. On the other end of the spectrum, you know you're not supposed to be there. This is an entirely different story. I'm not advocating for like breaking rank with the rest of your org. If you have a defined ICP and you are not meant to be selling into other industries, don't do it. Right. But on the other end, if you're open to it, then just be, be straight up with your customer. If you're somewhere in between where like you normally specialize in one vertical, but you have deals in the other vertical, then you should be going in there. And that interesting way to start a meeting, you're kind of alluding to it. So maybe in this example, the new vertical is, is banking, credit unions, and the old vertical is SaaS. Well, you know, they're more buttoned up and you know, like the procurement process is a little tighter. Maybe they're scared of GDPR, et cetera, et cetera. So you want to lead with that and say, hey, like we normally work in the SaaS industry and we're going crazy over there. But banking, I think, is our next big thing. And I've got a couple of customers I want to tell you about how they're leveraging our tech. But I also want to make mention that we should carve out some time because they had some interesting procurement steps we had to take. And I want to make sure if this goes well, we can talk through that. And what you're doing through this is you're kind of incepting the value that we should talk about is the customer story. 
the unique challenges we should talk about is the additional procurement heaviness, right? And now it's an interesting dialogue where the whole time you're proving subject matter expertise, not just for your tech, but the industry at whole and how to navigate with this new partner of yours, this new customer. How are you actually proving subject matter expertise other than what you just mentioned, which is like, I read this thing that you put out there and like, here's some challenges we've seen with folks in your industry. So I think everybody just wants to be educated. It's the only reason they talk to a sales rep. Either that or they're just begrudgingly talking to a sales rep because your company has gated the trial or the procurement behind a sales rep. So if they're willingly, and if that's the case, then you're, you're in trouble. But if they're willingly having an interaction with you, they're seeking some information. And they may not know that yet. They may not be open with themselves and therefore with you about that, but they're looking to be educated. And so one of the best things you can do to become a subject matter expert is deliver that education. Like most of us think, we internalize that as master your demo, master your script, sell well. The reality is they may want to know what your natural vertical is. They may want to know how your first thousand customers leveraged your product, what use cases, what ROI. And they really want to know that you now understand the difference between that and where they sit. And so saying things like, we normally work with product marketing, but in your industry, we don't see a lot of product marketers. We find digital marketing holds the, the ownership of this task. And the unique difference is digital marketing has this responsibility that product marketing doesn't. And you know, I want to show you why I think we're a great fit for digital marketers. And by explaining, this is what we do. This is how people leverage us. And this is how it's different for you and how I think that's going to impact the way we talk. Now you're a SME because you're understanding your, your business, your core, but their industry too. And the differences you're showing that you understand are you going to have to behave differently to win this deal. One thing that I love, Joe, is a lot of times it's the sales rep's intuition when you have a product gap or when an industry is new to you is to try to lie or make it seem like, uh, it's it's fine. It's going to solve your problems and all that stuff. And what I love what you're doing is you're you're just being very upfront around like, look, this is what we usually do. And you're going to be a little bit newer, right? This is going to be exciting. You're going to have deals self-select out. But the ones that self-select in are the ones that help you build your product. The other thing that they help you do is they help you go win the next 10 in that space because they're typically the ones who are the visionaries in that space and they're the forward thinkers and they're like here are the next three things you should build and here let me go tell you about my five friends who are just like me who know the space is doing it the wrong way and so joe on that note i'm curious like let's say you've got those first two or three design partners how do you use those design partners to go and land more customers well that's when you do traditional customer story marketing Hey, come learn how Bank of America is leveraging our technology. We're inviting all fintech companies in here to understand how this company uses us. And so then you're just walking out there with like early webinars and workshops and like networking events organized around this new emerging technology in your industry. And you get the customer to walk out there with you and say like, we're proud of ourselves. We're innovative. We've used this product. We figured it out. No one else did. And they want to do that for brand marketing but you're doing it for customer marketing and do a new vertical. So go out there with customer stories is step two. Joe, I want to ask you about that. You know, you mentioned a couple times, like, okay, if it's the first time you're selling into a, a vertical, you need to make it clear, like, hey, like, we are looking for a design partner. Like, we're looking for an early adopter. And that makes sense to me. And I see how I can do that if I'm meeting with a CIO or a chief innovation officer. 
I sell to law firms, and sometimes the way a law firm works is Armand is the managing partner, and he's really forward-thinking, but he sends one of his underlings to go investigate this piece of technology, and that person is more interested in, like, just making sure that they don't rock the boat. And how do I approach one of those bad meetings where it's like, here's Nick, he's, like, 12 levels below Armand, who, like, is looking for something new and innovative, but Nick is, like, He's just here with a, a checklist of stuff, and I know the org could be a great fit. What do I do there? It's classic, right, Nick? Because it's like, even if it weren't on a new vertical, you know what I mean, or like a new segment for you, we're talking about how to sell high and then get passed down to finish the implementation and the transaction without losing touch with the initial power. You know, like that's the topic that we're having. It just so happens to be in a new segment for us. And so I think the original advice, the classic advice here is maintain a relationship with power and proactively loop them into meetings and maintain a, a, an email thread with power saying, hey, I'm going to update you after every conversation. Let's try for like a 15 minute standing session every other week. And you want to maintain that connection to power is the answer. What's unique about this one is if you've done it effectively in the beginning, you found that power, air quotes power, in this deal is an early adopter. And if you're doing it right, then you're getting commitment. They're going to shepherd you through like true commitment that they understand you're spending your time on something, not core to your business because you have belief their industry is important or big or, or, or the next one. And they're agreeing to be your shepherd and they're agreeing to have these standing sinks with you. And you should be able to go back there if a, if a, if a lower level member of the committee blocks you. You should be able to go back there and say, hey, Nick, like I really need your help. I was afraid of this. Getting passed down is a big concern of mine in this industry. Here's what so-and-so said. Never complain about the champion. They're right. This is why I understand it. I, I get where they're coming from. But what do you think? Like, Does this trump the overall need that you and I talked about? Does this cool your excitement about the potential? Right? Or maybe you can help me go back in there and reset some expectations with your teammate. So it's classic champion management and maintaining a connection to power. But you should be even more emboldened because power, in this case, is an early adopter with like an actual interest and excitement in seeing this thing to fruition, or at least knowing when they give up, like we gave it our best shot and, and here's why we're not gonna move forward. Oftentimes when you're working massive deals that have exec involvement, or if you're an early stage company, this comes up a lot, where one end of the spectrum is like, you don't do anything they need. And those are probably the deals that you put to rest. But then you've got the ones where there might be 10 things they need and you do eight of them, right? With the last two, how do you strike the balance between vision selling, roadmap selling, which is sort of in the middle, or promising that we will get these things done by this date? No spectrum on this one. Just be blunt, honest, and don't mislead people, and don't overpromise, and, and don't allude to a roadmap that doesn't exist. If it's on the roadmap, if, if it's on the plan and exists, go communicate that to people. And if it's not, communicate that as well. So either this has been a conversation and there's like an entire thread about it. There's a tracker in your call recording product for this new feature they're testing. There's, you know, like some story somewhere that product and you can plus one somewhere or there's not. And so if there is, be honest about the status where, where you folks are in exploring that new opportunity. And if there's not, then be honest that there's not. Raise it up the right channels for internal communication whether it's product or sales engineering or sales leadership, and then communicate honestly with your prospect. But there is kind of like a, a very real possibility. You solve the problem they have 
without having the feature they asked for, or you accomplish the job to be done without giving them the specific workflow they imagined in their head. And so I think in that case, your, your job is to kind of like get them to think about it a different way and understand that the outcome matters, not the way we get there. And if I'm hitting on eight out of 10 cylinders and then I have an alternative for the other two, like we can still work together. So you want to like take the pressure off by saying like, yeah, loud and clear, loud and clear. I read you same page and then kind of let it cool for a second and then just say, Hey, one interesting thing that we might think about in this case, and then kind of lay out like, I may not have that feature, but here's how another customer uses me for the same outcome. But you don't want to just jump in there and be like, no, 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 you're wrong, you're wrong. And so I think it's better to kind of relate to the objection they're giving you and like truly process it and understand it and agree that it's a challenge or that's important and then really let the exhale take place and then say, hey, but one thing we might think about here and explain how this is different or unique or still viable, but take the pressure off. Don't just straight disagree with them. Empathize with them. Feel their fear. Feel their objection. And then once the pressure's off, come back and say, hey, like, I'm, I'm actually not sure that's really the most important blocker. One thing that's been helpful for us, if you break them into a couple different buckets, you've got your big problems, your little problems, and then sort of your fake problems. And the big problems are the ones where someone's misaligned with your product vision. And those are the ones where you're probably not going to sign the right customer there. The fake problems are the ones where it's like they don't like the UI. And Joe, to your point, it's one of those things where the way you handle it is like, look, it's so funny. Like the other day, someone wanted Pokemon Red. You wanted Pokemon Blue. But guess what? You both want Pokemon, right? Because you solve the big problem together. The tricky ones are actually the ones right in the middle. And I totally agree in the sense that the way that you solve those ones is by letting them know that you're hearing them. And they're not the only ones who have thought of this before. And uh, I remember selling a deal with my CEO. And PAVE helps companies communicate compensation information. And we used to have a bunch of tax modeling tools that customers would ask about all the time and get super in the weeds on. And so we actually took them out. And of course, the moment we took them out, other customers started asking where are the tax tools. And the way that our CEO was able to handle these was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually used to have this. You're not the first person that brought it up. I actually built this thing before. But what we heard from customers is it got like way too confusing for the employees or for the candidates and stuff like that. And all of a sudden they just put their guard down and I was trying to use all these sales voodoo tactics the entire time. And if you just say like, look, other people have seen this and you're not alone, but here's sort of like how we came to that product decision. I find that people tend to be okay with it once you actually explain the how behind how you got there from a product standpoint. Armand, like even on, on that example, your, your CEO says, hey, like, you know, a lot of our customers complain about it. So we got rid of it, right? There's a moment where you just, you really want to just be patient and, and let the customer complain. And you let them have that painful, uncomfortable, maybe deal risking moment. Then you're better equipped to rescue after. Because you can say, well, now hold on. Like, that's interesting because we replaced that use case with this workflow. But by re this is what I mean, like really feel the pain, really allow them the space to, to like really uncover the full range of risk that now you don't have this feature. What is the full risk for them? And now you're equipped to go in there and, and kind of dismantle those one by one. It should be like three minutes of negative risk to the deal where it looks like both parties are going like, oh man, are we about to break up? 
And then, aha, epiphany. Luckily, I thought of a solution for you, and this is how we can move forward. So give them that space to really feel the negativity before you rescue. Joe, how is this different or even more effective in the context of I'm a new company with a different way of doing things, and I'm now into a I'm now in a competitive head-to-head with a company that probably checks all the boxes, but doesn't have the right vision. How does this approach work in one of those types of situations? It's been fascinating for me, like working with these early companies. We're, we're all about finding product market fit. Like I'm talking about a seed investor is, is literally backing people that have an idea and then using the next eight. Like we cut checks one to three million. They last like 18 months and you have to get to one or two million in, in annual revenue and then you can raise an A. So these are folks that have maybe one paying customer, you know what I mean, when, when we invest there. And we're truly trying to uncover product market fit. And the things that I'm like observing in coaching these companies, they're wildly applicable to, to sales reps at mature companies. Because what I'm talking about here is like giving the prospect space to give you the use cases, give you the industry expertise, give you like the challenges in that business, even if they don't immediately lead back to your value prop. And so that's something that every sales rep should want. Give the prospect the space to explain why you're not right for them and what they need. And the more you can learn about this new department, new vertical, new use case, the better equipped you are to win, even if not that deal, the next five deals that look like it. And so early stage companies, when they're in the right mindset, they're truly in find product market fit mode which means less talking, more listening, and more encouraging people to teach you. When I look at salespeople, the average tenure is 18 months. So chances are your company might be mature, but you as an expert, you as a SME, right? You're still in your early days. And if we all take that attitude, like this company says they're the best at XYZ, I joined three months ago, I'd love to learn from you. If we can go out there with that attitude in sales, we will be more effective. And so I think the way early stage seeking product market fit companies approach discovery has real life lessons for all salespeople on how they should approach discovery. Joe, this has been such a good episode, man, but we are running out of time. And so we have got to move to the final question. And the final question, your third time being asked this question. So I hope you have a new answer. We've talked about a lot of things that salespeople should be doing. Now we need to ask the inverse of that. What's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that they should stop doing because it hurts them more than it helps? The number one thing that all salespeople have to stop doing is being so desperate to prove that they understand what the person is saying, that they interrupt them before they finish saying. They interrupt with, yeah, 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 here's how I can prove to you I know what you mean. And so rather than letting a person give you their pain point or their goals, you're shushing them to say what someone else told you was pain point or goals. Stop being so desperate to prove you get it and just shut up and just let them talk. Joe, thanks so much for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect, Jane, just got promoted. From there, in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes.
This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Joe Caprio include, number one, incent interest in the first 90 seconds by citing some of the article, the years that they've been in their role, the number of times they've had this certain role, something to show that you did research. Number two, first is best. So whatever the top trigger you find in your prospecting research, just use that in your outreach. Don't keep researching. Number three, Prove that you know their space by pointing out the differences and the challenges with certain customer profiles. It's very helpful to say, typically when I'm talking to X person versus Y person, these are the differences in their situations. And then lastly, number four, once you're in an early stage startup or if you're selling an early stage product, be explicitly clear about the gaps in your product, but make sure you sell the vision so you allow people to select in or out of being a design partner. Alrighty, Nick, how can people help us out here? Well, Joe Caprio is a legend in 30 Minutes to President's Club world. If you haven't listened to episode one, yes, our very first episode, Joe was the guest, and he talked about stuff like ditching small talk and kicking off meetings with what he calls PPO. You'll have to listen to the episode to know what that means. And then he also joined us for episode 35, and he talked about stuff like why you should not be withholding pricing or demo in lieu of, oh, I got to do my discovery first. So go check out those episodes if you have not, and we'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, Pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.